0: Maggie Schlott's origin story when I decided that Maggie needed an origin story I set aside the first thing that came to mind usually it is the first appearance of them to me that defines them in my fiction however in this case I wasn't convinced that the person I saw was easily reconciled with her appearance as the protagonist in The Exterminator. I tried many other imaginings, but none came as clearly to me as that first sighting. This isn't the type of character I've envisioned before. I'm not even sure what prompted it this time. But the introductory scene of her was so crystal clear in my head. Sometimes a scene or a character simply won't shake loose. This was one of those. Maggie rolled away from him, relieved his session was over. She sat up and swung her legs over the side of the bed. It was out of fashion, but she wore her hair loose and natural. The auburn waves undulated down below her shoulder blades. She clutched the bedsheet to her chest, about to stand up and wrap it around herself. She stopped when she felt him reach out and rub his knuckles up and down the small of her back. She winced as he slowly traced his fingers along the bruises he'd left there. It took all of her composure not to flinch away in revulsion. You really should come to Killian with me. Microtech is building a new facility there. They landed a contract to make exclusive components for military devices. What's that got to do with in York, she asked. You know these executive types. They need their luxury hangars, especially in less than ideal climates. I'll be administering the design and the construction. He folded his arms behind his head. We'll be there for a couple of years at least. If you come, I can help you start a small business, a modest shop of some kind, lots of activity in the area. He looked around her apartment. Your place and things always look so chic. You have a knack for it. He leaned over and coiled a fistful of her hair around the palm of his hand. There, you'd only have to worry about pleasing me. We could be seen together in public, no questions asked. She yanked her hair out of his grasp and stood up. What about your wife? What about her? He stretched and yawned. She's not coming. Doesn't like to travel and damn glad of... I bet you are, she thought to herself. Aloud, she said... But you're glad of her money, and so am I. She felt him rise up behind her, but this time she was faster than he was. She bolted off the bed and moved out of arm's reach before turning to face him. He wasn't bold enough to hurt her while she was looking directly at him. She seethed on the inside, coward. To him, she said, I need to straighten up, another customer coming soon. He glared at her, hands balled into fists. Larry was tall, dark, and handsome, as they say. But it was his soul that made him ugly. He backed off the bed into a standing position. You know that disgusts me. Playing innocent, she cocked her head to one side. What's that? He ground his teeth and flexed his jaw before answering. The idea of other men, he spat. She wanted to laugh in his face. Instead, she said, Sorry, love. You know you're the only special one. Placating him felt like chewing on glass. She did it because he was her highest paying and most frequent customer. She needed him for a while yet. He dressed quickly. Jerking on his clothes in anger, she walked him to the door, feigning concern for his feelings, and gave him assurances that she would consider his generous offer. And she would, just not in the way he thought. Maggie wondered why anyone married these creatures. She could respect the single men looking for diversion and satisfaction, or the older, lonely ones. Unfortunately, Larry's species was much more common, especially among the clientele of licensed paramours. It helped them feel less grimy in their illicit behavior and unfaithfulness. Maggie sat across from Kitty. She was on the sofa trying not to be consumed by the avalanche of brightly colored, fluffy pillows. Kitty was sitting cross-legged on her bed. Her face was heart-shaped and matched her plump, girlish figure. Maggie was her polar opposite, tall, lithe with keen features and almond-shaped eyes that dominated her face. Kitty looked at Maggie expectantly, her bright blue eyes framed by three-inch artificial lashes that made a clicking sound when she blinked. Her surgically altered lips were set in a perpetually plump pout. So, what's this idea you wanted to talk about? Haven't heard you that excited in ages. Larry mentioned something that got me thinking about changing my line of work. Kitty made a sour face. Larry? Ew. Surprised you're smiling after seeing him, she interrupted. He has his uses. Teasing, Maggie said, "'We can't all have romper room sessions.' Waving her hand at Kitty's outfit, she continued, "'I don't think they make those in my size.' Kitty popped to her feet on the bed, overturning several pillows and life-size stuffed unicorns. She struck an innocent pose and pressed an index finger to the corner of her mouth. In her best apologetic child's voice, she replied, "'I know,' Kitty sawy, Maggie big limb giant. She spread her arms wide. Come, Kitty make it all better. They both guffawed. Referring to Kitty's current outfit of pink ballet slippers, thigh high pink and white striped tights, multicolored tutu, and pink leather bustier, Maggie said, I don't know how you wear that shit all day. Stealing a line from Maggie, she replied, It has its uses, and flounced down into a sitting position. So, what's this idea? In the past, Larry's mentioned incentives offered to folks who settle on newly terraformed planets or bring new businesses to underserved areas. He's being shipped out to oversee construction of new Revel and York hangars in Killian. He wants me to go with would help me start a small business of some sort for income with him as my only client. Kitty's eyes widened in horror. Shaking her finger, Maggie said, Not to worry, fuck being tied to that asshole. Patting her chest feverishly, Kitty said, Thank God, almost gave baby a heart attack. But his offer got me thinking, though. Why can't we start up a business in a system where subsidies are being offered on our own? Even without a grant, if we could find a reliable lead on a developing community and the inside track on a prime location, we'd be in decent shape. Maggie leaned back for a minute to consider. She looked around Kitty's apartment. It was the same size, albeit themed for her clientele's tastes. Their quarters were larger than average, being corner units. They had space for an oversized bed, formal sitting area, kitchenette, and a bathroom with double-sized shower and a jacuzzi. The coup de gras, however, was the breathtaking view, a feature very few others on the Granada space station had. These suites were usually reserved for corporations, high-ranking government personnel, and military officials. Their ability to acquire them was the benefit of being a licensed paramour paying top union dues. The paramour union bid for and championed getting their members the best accommodations. They argued it kept up one spirit and attracted a better class of patrons, and they were right. There were many nights when Maggie soothed her aching body and bruised soul by staring out of her apartment's lavish floor-to-ceiling windows. The view of Van from this distance was mesmerizing. Predominantly covered in ice, it was a pale blue ghost and a perpetual night sky of deep space. She could lose herself for hours, watching ships pop in and out of quantum, arriving and departing from Granada, the largest residential and commercial space station in all of Crowshaw. Her life here was far from perfect, but she'd seen worse. Her parents were hard-working but unskilled laborers. Clinging to their faith, they shunned modern birth control options and struggled to provide for five children. Her early years was spent in slums of overly crowded, resource-stretched cities her teens, living in what amounted to little more than tin cans with oxygen on congested space stations. When she was 18, she set out on her own, determined to have better. Her career as a paramour had provided comfort and predictability. She knew the rhythm of every day before it began. She wanted for nothing and had, over the years, sent money to her family, who begrudgingly accepted it. Her father, all that was left of their tragic clan, was ashamed of her and refused to visit. His voice echoed in her head. Glad your mother isn't alive to see this. Maggie had always wondered at the stupid saying. She couldn't imagine anything she could ever do that her mother being dead was preferable, jackass. Kitty scrunched up her face, confused. What, hun?" Maggie blinked, coming back to herself. Nothing. Look, we can do more than this. See more than this. Glancing around the room, have more than this. I don't know. This is pretty good. Kitty grabbed a nearby unicorn and hugged it to her chest. I'm being serious, Kitty. Are you going to be rocking that outfit when you're 50, 60? If not, then what? Not planning that part now is how we end up eating out of trash bins later. Kitty sighed and dropped the baby act. I know what you mean. I do think about it sometime, but it makes my tummy hurt. No shit. It's risky and scary but I don't want to do this forever or wait until it's too late. I could maybe squeak by alone, but my savings can't cover relocating and starting a business. She looked up to gauge Kitty's reaction. Together, we could. Don't think it could be just you and me. We'd need a third to be safe. Kitty warmed to the idea. She knew Maggie to be a level-headed person. Men do it all the time in business. I have a few clients that love telling me about their big deals and how savvy they are, all the while wanting to play patty cake with little me. She giggled. I agree, though. There's safety in numbers. Exactly. You, me, and Basha could do it. We're good friends and we trust each other. Kitty hopped off the bed and sat on the sofa next to Maggie, her face alert. Think three is enough? There's travel, startup costs, license fees, and we have to live on something while things get going. I was thinking we should focus on finding a place where we could live on the premises in the beginning. That way, all of the money is going into the business location, minus food. She poked Kitty in the ribs when she saw her make a face at the idea of cohabitation. Temporary Girls Club. She poked her to the point of tickling popcorn and pillow fights. She laughed while Kitty squirmed. When she stopped laughing, Kitty took a slow look around her room. I haven't shared a room in ages. Momentarily slipping back into her shtick, Baby wipes her stuff. So does Maggie. We can have our stuffs again later. You in? Kitty got up and went to the window. This view. She leaned her cheek against the cool glass. How far do you think we'd have to go? Honestly, I don't know. It wouldn't be immediate. We can take our time and shop around. Turning back to Maggie, she asked, "How are we going to get the inside track on something?" Maggie looked at her cockeyed. "Come on, you don't think between the three of us we can find a client who can scare up some information?" "True." Kitty turned away again. "You in?" I can't do this without you, Kitty. She hesitated. Don't mean to pressure you, but you, me, and Basha have been each other's rock for years. Two might could do it, but... Kitty faced the room again and took a deep breath. I'm in, not leaving baby behind. Maggie jumped up from the sofa and clapped her hands. Excellent. Now the real work begins. Maggie had waited over three hours for the time delay response from Richard. She was sitting at her dining table, half of which served as a desk. Watching his reply on the vidmail, she could see how much he'd aged in the years since she'd last seen him widowerhood wasn't doing him any favors. His bushy hair was completely gray, including his eyebrows. He would gained weight, and his gentle face was completely lined. His hazel eyes, however, were still kind. It's good to hear from you, Maggie. It's been a while. My work in Goss is going well. Kind of you to ask. I'm surprised and relieved to hear that you're contemplating a different career. Chortling as though it were a shared joke, he said, Lord knows you are good at what you do, but I always suspected you could do more. Maggie glowed on the inside from his sweet words. It wasn't something she heard often. To her father, all of her choices seemed a day late and a credit short. Richard continued, I made contact with a few leads to see what was available and I think I lucked up on a sound opportunity in Stanton. Stanton? Maggie paused the playback and searched for the Stanton star system on her datapad. Not much information on it other than it contained four super earths and the locals were in a quarrel about ownership with the UEE. She pressed play on the tablet again it's a rare find of four planets that are geologically capable of supporting life. The pioneers and separatists have been freely making use of the star system since its discovery. But now that the UEE is strapped for cash and resources, they're claiming eminent domain. He rolled his eyes as if he wasn't necessarily in agreement. We're not sure what's going to happen with the planets themselves, but There is an asteroid belt actively being mined, which ensures a certain level of commerce. Green Imperial Housing Exchange is building a station and trading post inside one of the asteroids. It won't be luxurious, nothing the likes of Granada, but it's a safe bet it will attract a high amount of traffic, especially during the early years of terraforming the system's planets. Maggie traced the outline of Richard's face on the display. She knew him to possess exceptional business acuum. More importantly, he was a good person. Friend of a friend knows the leasing agent. I took the liberty of transferring them a security deposit to hold the location that meets your expressed requirements. Things are moving quickly, though. You only have four weeks to arrive on site with a six-month rent deposit and to sign the papers. They don't want any absentee landlords or people squatting on the spots. If you miss the deadline, the security is forfeited. I hope this arrangement is agreeable to you. I think it's an excellent opportunity, and selfishly, it would allow me to occasionally see you since I passed through there on business. You can repay me the deposit in credits or... A huge grin spread across his face or in services. Good luck. Hope to see you soon. Maggie was dumbstruck. He'd already secured a place. Holy shit! Her excitement immediately gave way to the harsh reality of a looming deadline. We have to raise the money, pack up, and be there in four weeks. She bolted up from the table and began pacing. They probably had their credits for the rent, but then they needed more to turn it into whatever business they selected and have funds to live off of in the interim. Might have enough if we liquidated everything we own. She chewed on her fingernail, but abruptly stopped, not liking the taste of the red glitter lacquer on it. Only keep bare necessities to take with. Live off space rations for a while if we have to. She cupped her forehead. Kitty's not going to like that idea. The 15 days since her conversation with Richard had been a blur. Getting rid of her big ticket items had been the easy part. The station had a waiting list for her apartment. They were more than happy to take it off her hands furnished. She was bunking with Basha, who'd found someone to take the lease on her smaller apartment and was willing to wait until she departed if Basha paid the first month's rent, which she did. Dealing with Larry had been infinitely harder. She'd physically moved in with Basha before canceling her client sessions to avoid anyone showing up looking for an answer, particularly Larry. The messages he'd left had quickly escalated from concern to outrage to threats. He refused her offer to meet in a public place to discuss her change in circumstances, claiming someone who knew his wife might see them. He eventually relented, where her final reply said that if he didn't want to meet in public, there was no point in contacting her again. Maggie was sitting alone at a bistro table on the observatory deck of the Tip Top, watching customers come and go. Tip Top was a popular gathering place for drinks and to have a light meal, owed to the glass walls and spinning platform, which afforded an amazing view of the space station and van. Being one of the few public locations with an exterior view at all, it was also a favorite spot for visitors to congregate. She'd asked the hostess for a table at the back edge of the round dining room. She didn't want to be sitting front and center if her conversation with Larry became contentious. Not that she should care. She was leaving. Still, she checked the time again. Larry was uncharacteristically late. She suddenly regretted not taking the coward's way out by leaving him vidmail on the day of her departure but she didn't want him harassing anyone he thought knew her or contacting the Paramore Union. This way, if he did, she could respond that she'd done everything in a professional manner, in which case they'd put him in his place and threatened to blacklist him if he persisted. Although she didn't plan on needing the Union again, it was better to play things safe. No point in burning a bridge she might have to cross again one day. Deciding that she was only waiting another ten minutes, she looked up from her watch to find him staring at her from the entrance. Here we go. He had that look on his face, the one he wore when contemplating how far he could push her. Maggie schooled her expression into a mask of calm aloofness. The room was full, with a line of people waiting at the entrance. Occupants were dressed to be on display. She watched Larry weave his way toward her. He wore a chest-hugging shirt, slim-fitting pants, and an aged leather duster. His swagger was attractive, and he knew it. He planted on his patent-slanted sexy smile. They both noticed a few heads swivel in his direction. When he reached the table, he leaned over to kiss her, but she pointedly turned away. We're not sweethearts, she said. Could be. How easily you forget you're married. He waved away the statement and sat down across from her. That's a circumstance, nothing more. Maggie rolled her eyes, if you say so. So... What's the cloak and dagger routine? I've been seeing you for almost four years. Or rather, I've been paying you that long. He looked down his nose at her. Maggie wasn't taking the bait, nor was she insulted. She always considered him and all of her clients' business. He couldn't hurt her feelings by stating the obvious. You seemed not to understand my change in status. She sipped at the goblet of red wine in her hand. The new tenant says you've contacted her several times looking for me. She put the glass down and leisurely folded her hands on the table. She doesn't know me. We're not friends. It's a business arrangement of her taking over my lease, period. He put both of his arms on the table when he spoke. You're living somewhere. I want that address. He leaned forward with a menacing smile. I'll get it eventually. Stations only but so big. Maggie made a mental note to tell Basha that they needed to be more careful entering and exiting the apartment. Basha's place was on one of the lower floors with modest accommodations and less security. I already told you, the friend I'm with isn't fond of visitors. She works from home. Still claiming it's a she, he asked with a raised eyebrow. Not claiming, telling. She reached for the wine glass, but he grabbed her hand instead. I don't believe you. How are you living? She resisted the urge to jerk her hand back. He was being civil. Well, his brand of civil anyway. On my savings. Like I told you, I'm entering a new line of work and making a fresh start. He toyed with her fingers, alternately rubbing them gently and applying uncomfortable pressure. I think that's a great idea and I can help. I think you missed the fresh start part of that. Fresh means not being a paramour or a mistress. She looked him directly in the eyes. Here was a fact he couldn't refute or weasel around. He laughed. (laughs) Not likely. Think you're the first whore to say that? She pulled her hand out of his grasp. He narrowed his eyes and looked around to see if anyone was watching. Pipe dream, nothing more. Well, it's my pipe to smoke. She stood up and let her mask fall away. Her eyes raked over him with disgust. I've suspended my license and notified the union about potentially unwanted contact from a client, an accusation they don't take lightly. If you contact me again in any way, I'll notify them and you'll be blacklisted. She stepped back from the table when he rose. He lurched for her arm, but she leaned out of the way. The glasses and cutlery on the table rattled violently. Heads swung in their direction. Conscious of the sudden stares, he said, We'll discuss this later. You'll see things my way before it's all said and done. I promise you that. There was a palpable threat behind the statement, but she refused to let him see her acknowledge it. So she tossed her hair and laughed. Bye, Larry. Fearful of Larry's threats, Maggie convinced Kitty and Basha it was better to be gone as soon as possible. They each took extra care when leaving or returning to the apartments. Maggie did her best to conduct as much of her final business as she could using video conferences. She sold her remaining possessions through a third-party merchant to avoid sharing information with potential buyers. Unfortunately, moving up their timetable compromised how much money they earned for liquidating their assets. It also landed them with horrible travel arrangements to Stanton by having to take whatever was cheapest and readily available for three people. An hour before they were due to board a starliner to Ferron as the first hop on their journey, Kitty still hadn't arrived at the departure gate. Basha and Maggie were sitting alone on a bench near the glassed wall watching the ground crew prepare the starliner for departure. The Starliner was one of Crusader Industries' premier passenger transport ships. It was long and narrow with sleek lines accentuated by red racing stripes. Maggie watched the ground crew refuel and load cargo. She wished they'd been able to go with their original plan of securing private cabins. Unfortunately, that was no longer an option with their accelerated departure arrangements. Basha's voice interrupted her wishful thinking. No surprise, Kitty's late. Basha was moderate in height and full-figured. She wore a tan cowl-hood sweater with a tight-fitting jumpsuit that emphasized her curves. She had the hood up, the exaggerated falls draped against the sides of her face, contrasting against her mocha-colored skin and covered her tattooed scalp. Her voice was deep and sensual. It's going to be really interesting to see her offstage interacting without her props. Both women smiled. She's not responding to her Moby either. Probably on silent, old habit and all. If she misses this flight, she's screwed These are non-refundable passes. She'd find a means to control her way on the next one. I'm fairly certain of that. Maggie exhaled and tried to relax, but another 30 minutes passed and still no kitty. The boarding light turned on and passengers were beginning to enter the ramp to board the ship. Maggie and Basha were near the door, standing off to the side, craning their necks, looking for Kitty. Maggie gasped when she spotted her. She grabbed Basha's hand and squeezed it so hard, her knuckles turned white. What the? Maggie's mouth fell open. She saw Larry arch his eyebrows and smirk while holding Kitty in a death grip slightly in front of him. One side of Kitty's face was red. Her eyes were watery and her upper lip quivered. Think fast, Maggie screamed inwardly. Larry abruptly forced Kitty to stop walking and she almost tripped over her own feet. People brushed past the two on their way to the boarding ramp. He crooked a finger at Maggie and pointed to her and then to Kitty, as if to gesture and exchange. Basha, now fully aware of what was going on, said, No fucking way! The ball's on this fucker! Maggie watched in horror as he began slowly backing up, heading toward a secluded corner. No way she could follow him there. Realistically, what could he do if she screamed? She didn't think he was armed, but she couldn't know for sure. She suddenly remembered a prime lesson from self-defense training about never allowing yourself to be taken to an isolated location. Her mind raced. Wouldn't he just let Kitty go if she boarded the ship? Shit, her stomach roiled. What are we going to do? Basha asked. Maggie was about to say she had no idea when one came to her. She dropped the small valise she'd been carrying at Bosch's feet. She smoothed back her hair and walked forward. Behind her, she heard the gate attendant announce, Final boarding! She saw Larry sneer when she headed in his direction. Halfway to him, at the end of the line of passengers still boarding, Maggie spotted a young man alone bringing up the rear. He was wearing a bomber jacket with cargo pants and looked pretty fit. She stopped in front of him and gave him her most divine smile. I'm sorry to bother you. She laid a hand on his chest. My friend isn't feeling well and needs help boarding. She pointed toward Kitty and saw Larry's eyes narrow. That gentleman there was kind enough to help her this far, but he's not boarding. She used a hand to slowly brush her bang out of her eyes and battered her lashes. Buy you a drink on board if you can give us a hand. The young man's face brightened. Sure, no problem. I'm Maggie, by the way, she said, while simultaneously hooking her arm through his and moving him along. I'm Xavier. With an excessive sound of being pleased, she cooed, Marvelous. Don't hear that one much these days. She noticed Larry stiffen as they approached, and she tightened her grip on Xavier's arm. Kitty. This wonderful gentleman has offered to assist you to the ship. She kept her eyes trained on Kitty's face, praying she'd play along. I explained that you're not feeling well and need assistance getting to your seat. Kitty looked at the part. Her free arm was hugging her stomach and beads of sweat were trickling down the sides of her face. Uh, okay, th- th- thank you, she stammered. Larry interjected himself. No need. I can help them both. Dismissively, he added, you can run along. Xavier raised his eyebrows, bent his head to one side and cracked his neck. He felt Maggie's grip on his arm tighten when Larry spoke. Don't think that's possible unless you have a boarding pass. He turned his attention momentarily to Maggie and smiled. I'm here to help either way. He extended a hand to Kitty, who grabbed it like a life preserver. He felt Maggie begin backing away, and so did he, gently tugging on Kitty. Behind her, Kitty heard Basha say, Come on, last boarding, with a raised voice, followed by, Hang on, those three are coming. Good girl, Maggie thought, correctly assuming Basha was pointing them out to the attendant. Larry went rigid, and he momentarily yanked Kitty back to him. Bless Xavier, who didn't let go or give in. He continued tugging on Kitty while stepping backward one foot at a time. Hurried footsteps came up behind them. Excuse me, but you have to board now. Please hurry. Hurry. The young woman in her black uniform with red trim commanded. Kitty fell forward into Xavier as Larry let go. Maggie grabbed her arm and the three of them hurried toward the boarding ramp. "Sorry for the hold-up," Larry said in a silky voice to the attendant. "I need a boarding pass." Maggie overheard and turned her head in horror. "I'm sorry, this flight is booked. Next available departures in three hours. I have a standing first-class status, surely. My apologies, sir, there are no seats. As soon as I get them boarded, I'll be happy to assist you in boarding passage on the next flight. Please wait here. She turned and rushed Maggie, Kitty, Basha, and Xavier through the tunnel. While the quartet was walking down the main aisle of the ship looking for their seats, Maggie turned to Xavier, who was directly behind her. Thank you. I'll happily buy you a drink or several after takeoff. You don't have to, but I'll gladly oblige if it's not an inconvenience. Boring flight ahead and not tired enough to sleep through it. They were nearing the middle of the cabin where Maggie knew their seats to be. Spotting the row, she said, We're over there. Come on by when you're ready. I'm up a bit further. He walked past them, then turned back to Maggie. Not to pry, but I hope you have help where you're going. It's easy enough for that bozo to follow you on the next flight. Maggie grinned like a Cheshire cat. He could if it was our final destination, but it's not. We have many more flights to go. Doing it on the cheap and last minute is taking us by a very securitous route. She exhaled, we're good now. Thanks again. He winked at her, excellent. See you later. The End